to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. I love that song, and it, uh, it's very appropriate for the text we're going to be in today. But just the nature of the words that sin had had left. It's past tense. Had left. Sin had left a crimson stain. But you've been washed white as snow. That's good news this morning. It's good news. It should encourage your soul this morning um, as we worship the living Savior. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and open your Bibles to Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 1 through uh, 14. Uh, Some of you may know, but uh, Pastor Mason has started his sabbatical for the summer. Uh, So make sure you're praying for the Mason family. They are in desperate need of rest and uh, and recovery and uh, just good intimate time together as a family with the Lord. So just uh, be mindful of that as you pray over uh, the course of this summer. Um, We're actually this morning going to be starting a little mini-series Uh, called Built for Better, Uh, Built for Better. So we'll be in Romans 6 through Romans 8, um, the five times that I preach, and then we'll have some guest preachers come in like we normally do during the summer uh, as well. Are you there, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14? Uh, I know we normally read together this morning. I just want you to hear it as I read, but read along with me, okay? Here we go, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. For how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ has been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too may you walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed, not will be free, but is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again, for death no longer rules over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its passions and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God. And all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you. 
because you are not under the law, but under grace. Father, we believe your word this morning. We believe your word when it says that sin will not rule over us. For we have a new master. A master who always keeps his promises. A master who does not usher us towards death, but ushers us to life and life abundantly. Who gives us freedom. The freedom that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we know that this word is true because it is yours. And you say that the truth of your word is what sanctifies us. So, God, we pray that your people, that we would be sanctified by your word this morning. That we would be transformed and renewed in our minds this morning to believe the truth of what you say. In the name of the mighty, matchless, powerful Jesus Christ that we do pray this this morning. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen Amen and amen. You may be seated. If I could title our text for this morning, it would simply be this. Living better than my best life. Living better than my best life. You know, I know that's a, that's a phrase that we use often somewhat comically, but some, somewhat seriously as well uh, when we talk about just living our best life, you know. Um, and when I, when I consider or envision what I would consider my, my ideal life when I'm at, uh, when I'm in peak winning season, it usually is related to the type of house I feel like I'm going to buy or how I'm going to upgrade my car ministry or just putting a little bit of extra money in my pocket, you know, not even just with the job I have, but also secondary streams of income. It's not all bad. So, like sometimes I think about my ideal life being just being out of debt. Somebody better say amen or... But then, you know, living my best life also means, like, I, I want to travel a little bit. You know, I, women, y'all travel enough. I'm so, like, black men don't travel. Black men don't travel. We just be just where we grew up in our zip code, like, from birth to death. Right? I'm tired of seeing my sisters everywhere in the world. And the brothers, we be on the same block. But as I reflect on just at, like what I typically, I'm being like, I'm, I'll be honest, what, what I typically think about when I think about what my ideal life would be like, oftentimes it's very materialistic. It's, it's very much rooted in the tangibleness of what I can accumulate based off of what God has given or what I think I can attain on my own. But in all honesty, there, there, there's a gap between my ideal best life and the best life that God wants for me. Because what I want and what God wants sometimes doesn't align. And in God's kingdom, my best life is measured 
not by how much material things I can gain, but how well I am flourishing, becoming more and more free from sin, and effectively loving him and others. And so your best life and my best life only happens when we address the substandard spiritual lives we've created as normative. So this brings me to my first and only point this morning. I'm going to be out your way. But if we're going to have a kingdom mindset when pursuing the best life that God has for us, then we need to realize one thing, and it's simply this, that sin doesn't have the seed of influence in your life that you think it does. Are you with me? That sin doesn't have the seed of influence in your life that you think it does. When Paul begins of this chapter, he is responding to some rebuttals that he knows exist based on an argument he began making in chapter 4 where he began to walk through the fact that justification, uh, our being in right standing with God, uh, is because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And our need to believe in the fact that Jesus died for sin on our behalf, in our place, and that we could experience being in right standing with God just on the basis of faith. And then in chapter 5, he begins to lay out this idea that, that at one point in time, there was a man named Adam who came into the world, was created by God, and then sin, and through Adam's sin, death was ushered in. But Jesus was now the new Adam. And because of his perfect obedience to God and his death on the cross, now he has ushered in life as opposed to the death that was after us. And so what Paul says in, in verse 20 of chapter 5 is that the law came to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Basically, he was saying that when Adam ushered in sin and death, uh, sin began to multiply throughout the world and in your life uh, over and over and over and over and over again. But what Jesus Christ offers through his death on the cross, on the cross is a grace that far supersedes any sin that you could commit. That as much as we have sinned, the grace of God outnumbers it. No matter how far you've been from God in your life, the grace of God applied to your life now far more makes up the ground that you think you lost. And so one of the rebuttals that Paul is now arguing is, is some people, some of his opponents that would say, well, that means that we should just keep on sinning then. It's a form of what we would call antinomianism. It's just a big word uh, that says that you aren't obligated to live a moral life because faith already brought salvation. We can just break it down and say because you're saved, you can live any way you want to. It's basically fire insurance. You're saved, but it doesn't have to make a difference at all in how you live. And Paul here is saying in verse 1, he says, he says is this is what we're saying the gospel is? Are we saying that the, the gospel has been reduced to this idea where it just uh, makes you right with God, but it changes absolutely nothing about your life day in and day out? Is that what we're saying? He says, may it never be. He said, the grace of God should not give you freedom and license to sin. It should not give you this sense where, where your sin, the more you sin, the more God loves you because that's the more grace he can offer you. No, he's saying, he's saying may it never be. See, see. Being renewed in Jesus Christ through faith and having the grace of God applies to your life means that when you sin, we'll get to this when we get to chapter 8, but the guilt and condemnation that comes with sin is no longer present 
But not only that, that when salvation takes place in you, the spirit who now lives in you should be growing you so much that over time, more and more, you begin to hate your sin. So sin doesn't drive you to more sin so you can take advantage of the grace of God, but sin drives you to humility and to the throne of God so that you can receive mercy. So Paul begins to to work out this idea that no, sin shouldn't drive us to more sin as some faulty idea of how it might apply the grace of God to our lives. No, sin drives us further to the cross. May it never be. He says, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? I need you to underline that in your Bible. Or if you got your phone with you, just hi- hi- tap the highlight part and just and highlight it. But, but you need, I sat down as I was reading this and I read this over and over again. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, now the, he's, he's talking to a group of Christians he has yet to meet. But he's writing to them with the understanding that they know what he's talking about. Because he's aware that if they are believers, they've received the same gospel that he's preaching. So even though he wasn't the one to preach it to them, they still have the same kingdom mindset about what salvation means and the effect it should have on their lives. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul is here just making clear, he's not making the argument for them as if they don't already believe this, but he's already just reasserting or, or retelling something that they should already know, is that being dead to sin, which is the identity of the believer, means that there's no way possible we should be living in sin. Death to sin and living in sin can't coexist together. And so for, for Paul, he would say, if, if I look at the life of a believer, a professing believer, and a professing believer, one who has obtained the mercy of God through faith by grace in Jesus Christ, that means at the moment of regeneration, you were dead to sin. You, you were dead to sin. Which means that I can't fathom how I could look at your life as a believer and it be filled with sin. There there is no such thing as one who has been purchased by God, who is now dead to sin, that continues to live in sin. Now, why, why do I keep harping on this? Because for us, too many of us enjoy sin too much. If, if we're honest, we, we like to ke- keep sin around. We, we like to hold on to certain types of sin. May, maybe not the big ones, because, you know, the big ones that can be seen by other people, we're ashamed of those. Th- those are the ones that we don't want, but the ones that we can hide. The ones that we can pick back up as a functional savior when life doesn't go our way. Those are the way, those are the ones that we like to hold on to. So, of course, sexual sin, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't like sexual sin, you know. Sexual sin is bad. We know that's bad. But pride. Unforgiveness. Fits of rage. 
Overeating. Lack of generosity. Selfishness with your time. Paul is saying, he's saying, for the Christian, the fact that you are dead to sin, you have died. It's already happened. This isn't something you have to do again. This isn't something that you have to do. You have already died to sin. It's been done for you at the cross. Therefore, your life should not be mired with sin. But why does the church look like it does? Why, why does the church look like it does? We'll, we'll, we'll get to a, a couple of reasons of why we continue to sin. We're going to get down there uh, a little bit later. But, but how can we who died to sin still live in it? And then he says, well, if this is the case, maybe you're unaware, verse 3, maybe you're unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And so now Paul begins to link this idea of baptism with this idea of death, what it looks like to die to sin in relation to not only the sacrament of baptism, but the baptism that we have in the spirit in Christ when we are regenerate at salvation, right? And so he says, maybe you're unaware of all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus and that we were baptized into uh, his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we may walk in newness uh, of life. See, death to sin removes the believer from the control of sin. Let, let, me, let me put it this way. When you die physically, you don't have to pay your debts anymore. It's the easy way to get rid of debt. <laughs> Just die. No collectors, no bill collectors are coming after you once you die to collect your debt. You know why? Because debt releases you from the responsibility of payment. Spiritually speaking, this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the believers in Rome. He's trying to let them know spiritually when we have died to sin... Because death has taken place, it releases you from the spiritual uh, responsibility and the consequences that were yours when you were still alive. So at the moment that you die to sin, death no longer has any responsibility or authority over your life to command you to make repayment. Now the thing about death is, death has no control over resurrection. So once you die, death no longer has any answer for you, but if resurrection takes place, it can't say anything because what you owed at death was now nullified. So anything that comes after death is fair game. And so Paul here is trying to let you know that at the cross, there was something that was crucified on your behalf so that when the next came, which is the resurrection, Death, which had power over you prior, no longer has any power over you. I, I like how uh, one of our uh, early theologians, Oregon, said, he says, to obey the cravings of sin is to be alive to sin. But not to obey the cravings of sin 
or succumb to its will, this is to die to sin. What, what, what we're talking about in relation to being alive to sin or being dead to sin is a matter of obedience. This is what Paul is getting at in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, where he says, If you walk by the Spirit, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Right? So if I'm walking by the Spirit, then there's no way I can be walking by the flesh if the flesh is walking in the other direction. To walk by the Spirit unequivocally means that I'm walking away from the flesh. And so he says, if you, right, he puts it on you, meaning that there is effort that has to take place on your, on your side. God does not make you obey. God does not do all the work for you. There is, a, there is an element of make every effort where you, relying on the power of the Spirit, submitting yourself to the leading and the guiding of the Spirit, still have to make the decision to obey the Spirit. And he says that, that when you walk, obey the Spirit, you absolutely will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Listen, what that simply means is you can say no to sin. Listen, some, somebody needs to hear that today. You can say no to sin. It is not master over you. Listen, why, why, why do I say that? Because I know what it feels like to be trapped in sin so, and get so, so uh, deceived and, and so beat down that you feel like giving up when, where the craving comes, when the temptation comes, the thought process isn't, what can I do? To, to get closer to God, what can I do to avoid temptation? It's, man, every time this craving comes, I sin. So I've begun to believe the lie that I have to sin now. And so you get trapped in a cycle, a vicious cycle of sin and bondage and enslavement, not because what you're believing is true, but because you haven't been yet transformed in your mind to believe that you have a choice because it's in the mind. That's why he writes in Romans chapter 12, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. We have to believe different. We have to believe the truth of what God says different, which clearly says that you can say no to sin. You don't have to do it. You don't have to sin. Listen, listen, guess what? You don't have to sin. I know it feels like it, but you don't have to sin. You may feel defeated. You may feel ashamed and embarrassed. You may feel guilty, but guess what? You don't have to sin. You don't, I'm going to say have to as one word, have to <laughs> sin. You know why I keep saying that? Because somebody needs to hear that. Those four words, and anybody knows me, I share this testimony openly. Those four words saved my life. And I remember when it happened, reading God's word, that passage, Galatians 5.16, over and over again. For some reason, 
I read it one day, and those four words jumped off the page. You don't have to sin. But it's, that's not enough. It's one thing to believe that that's true. But you know what happened next? I was presented with an opportunity to apply what I just knew to be true. Where I had to make a decision in the moment to apply the truth that I now knew that I didn't have to sin. And I remember being in that situation and sitting there and wrestling. I, I don't know if you've ever been there before where you feel the grips of temptation pulling at you, clawing at you. In your mind, it feels like a parasite inside of you. And it's just wanting you to do, that's what Paul says in, in Galatians 5, 17, like that the spirit and the flesh are at war trying to get you to do what they want you to do. And I remember being there. Galatians 5, 16 came in my mind. You don't have to sin. I began to just repeat it to myself. I don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. And guess what I did for the first time in my life over a 12-year battle? I said no. And guess what? Guess what? At, at that moment, I knew I was free. I knew I was free because there was a reality that said, man, if I can do this once, I can do it again. To this day, just 15 years later, to this day, when I want to sin, you know what comes to my mind? I don't have to sin. Galatians 5.16. Because now it holds me to a standard that says, I know what God's word says. So whether or not I apply what God says is not the fault of the enemy. It's not the fault of my flesh. It's not the fault of my circumstance. It's the fault of me. So Paul here is saying, he's, he's saying, listen, this is a matter of obedience for the Christian. And because the Christian has already died to sin in Christ at the cross, it should, like, we should not be looking at a bunch of Christians who are enslaved to sin. And we don't say that to down those who are. We say that to say, you have power to get out. Power is yours. Freedom is yours. Because it's already been purchased for you. We're not awaiting Christ to purchase freedom on his return. Christ has already purchased freedom. So we walk, we live, we obey from a position of already being free. So believer, why are you not? Why are you not free? He says, so we too, verse 4, if all that's true, so we too may walk in the newness uh, of life. Right? He says, if, you, if you've been buried with him, then it follows that because he was raised, you will be raised with him, right? Buried referring to uh, that, that you had died as far as your old life of sin, the old man was concerned, and raised meaning that you will have new life. Meaning that you have new life because your old relationship to sin was broken at death. It's like having, um, if I can make an example, it's, it's like having an old ex that you don't get along with, 
and you don't want to be in a relationship with, but you keep around for your own personal benefit. This is, this is what sin is like for the believer. The relationship is not the same any longer. You've broken off the relationship. The relationship has been broken off. This ex, this person, the relationship has no future for you. And you know it has no future for you. But for some reason, you just let it hang around. Verse 6, it says, for we know that our old self, the old man, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So even though the old nature was crucified, which means it's not a present experience but a past event, right, was crucified, it remains alongside the new nature. Right? And so uh, the old man was crucified, but not destroyed. Meaning that even though it was crucified and you've been raised to new life and have a new nature, that old man is still there, but it doesn't have any power. Right? And so the old man doesn't completely go away this side of eternity, but he's been rendered powerless. Meaning that he has been done away with or how it can be sometimes translated, reduced to a condition of absolute impotence and inaction. Meaning that he's there, but he might as well be dead because he can't do anything to you unless you let him. So Paul's just trying to, to make this argument that for the believer, new life in Christ comes with freedom. There's no such thing as new life in Christ without freedom attached to it. New life, freedom. They, 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 they are a package deal. You can't have one without the other. New life, freedom. He says, since a person who has died is, is freed, has already been freed from sin, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all time. That once and for all time emphasizes the finality of the sacrifice of Christ, meaning that it was both effective and conclusive, meaning that it was overwhelmingly a success. Like, this fight, this battle, this war was not close. Um, I don't know if y'all remember the, y'all remember Rocky One? Rocky One, I mean, we in Philly, so you should know Rocky One. Classic. And Rocky is, uh, you know, he's, I don't got to explain who Rocky is. Y'all know who Rocky is. But at the end, he's fighting Apollo Creed. It's completely overmatched. Creed comes in as the champion. You know, they, they, you know Rocky was just a fill-in. It's like, all right, let's, let's get this tune-up fight in for you, Apollo, so we can get to a real challenge. And they went the distance, right? 
They're battling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the, the, the fight was so close that when they announced the winner, you didn't really know who was going to win. This is not that. See, that, that fight was so close that Apollo was embarrassed enough to have to take a rematch. There will be no rematch. Jesus did what we would call a one-hitter quitter. One hit and it's over. And so Paul here is trying to help us understand the forcefulness of what it means when he says that the death that he died, he died once and for all time. There is no need for a redo. When Jesus died on the cross, he accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished for now and for all time and secured everything that needed to be secured for you to walk in freedom, for me to walk in freedom, for us to obey his word by the power of the Spirit. Everything that needed to be done was overwhelmingly done at the cross. And it was not close. She says, so you, if this is true, then you should consider yourselves dead to sin. Like, as, as a believer, you should consider, if all that I've said is true, if we've been baptized with him and have been raised with him and, and, and the power of the Spirit uh, gives us newness of life, uh, a post-salvation, then it means that we should consider ourselves dead to sin, which means we have to believe that sin has no power over us. So you too then, believe that sin has no power over you. Live like sin has no power over you. Live like sin has no power over you, because it doesn't. He, he's not asking a question here. He's not trying to get you. To, he's making an actually fact, true statement. Sin has no power over you, so live like it. And you can live like it because it doesn't have any power over you. Then he says, verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin. I'll give you two reasons why, uh, why we typically uh, sin. And he gives the two reasons here. The first one is do not let. It is passive. Where we allow ourselves to be given over to sin because either we believe that we have to you're no longer enslaved, but you believe that you are. You believe that you have to, or you're not doing the proactive things necessary to develop the type of resistant character that a Christian should have based on the fruit of the Spirit that doesn't cause you to be tempted easily. And so you either take a passive stance where you're not doing anything, which means... If you're, if you're not growing, if, if, if you're not uh, pursuing growth, then you're declining. There is no middle ground for the Christian. You are either growing or you got Benjamin Button's disease. It's one or the other. 
So he says there, there, is a, there is a passive sense in which we let sin just stay around. We let sin reign. We let sin have rulership over us. We don't fight sin's rule over us. He says there, there's a passive sense in which we just kind of let it happen. And then he says, do not offer any parts of yourselves. That, that's where we want to sin, where we pursue sin, where we go after sin, where we enjoy sin. So he said there's, there is a passive sense in which we just allow sin to reign in us, and there is an active sense in which we pursue it. And Paul here is saying that, that if everything that we're saying is true about what the life of the believer should look like, then there should be no passive or active activity in which sin is presently active in our lives. What he's, let, me, let me say this. What he's not saying, he's not saying that you won't sin. He's not saying that you won't struggle with sin. He's not saying that you won't have weaknesses or areas of growth that are necessary. But what he's saying is, as a Christian, you should not be okay with a life of sin being identified with you. As a Christian, you should look different than your unsaved friends. Like, I know y'all grew up together, and y'all real close, and y'all family still get together, or y'all go hang out and all that stuff. But it's funny how often you look just like them when you're with them. It's funny how often when you go back home, like you escaped being home because you didn't like all the drama, but when you go back home, you operate just the same way you did. Here he's saying there, there should be a distinction. There needs to be a distinction. And he's not saying that to look down on us. He's saying that, listen, the freedom that God has for us, the grace that he gives us to live the Christian life is ours if you would just believe it and access it. It says, do not let any part of your body uh, be used as a weapon for unrighteousness. But use it as a weapon for righteousness as you present it to God. Verse 14, for sin will not rule over you. If this, if this is true, sin will not rule over you. Sin is ruling over some of us in here today. But guess what? It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Sin will not rule over us because we are not under law, but under grace. The law demanded obedience, but grace supplies the will and the power to obey. Sin will not rule over you. Look, I just want to do this and then I'm out your way. It's easy to kind of to, to listen to a sermon like this and, and then say, okay. Pastor Kurt, newness of life. Yeah, got it. That should be mine. I don't feel like I have it. What do I, like, what, like, what do I do next? If I want newness of life, because it's already mine, as a Christian, newness of life is already mine. If that's what you're saying the word says, then how do I access it? Here, here's, here's a couple of things. One, there are three things that you must believe. Can you put that first slide up there for me? One, you have to believe that you are free from the guilt of sin. Romans chapter 8 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that we should not want to sin, but it means the condemnation that we often feel because we sin is no longer over you. God does not judge you when you sin the way he judges those who don't have a relationship with him. See, condemnation brings wrath, but you do not have wrath. You have discipline. Discipline comes from love. You have to believe that the guilt of sin, that you're free from that. Two, you got to believe that you are free from the divine wrath that is the natural consequence of sin. Meaning that when you sin, the wrath of God is no longer after you because Jesus drank all of it on the cross on your behalf. And I know what happens. We, we sin and then we run from God until like we've lived long enough free of sin to be able to pray or read his word. Y'all know I'm not the only one. You feel so nasty after you sin. It's like, man, I can't even pray right now if I wanted to because God don't want no parts of me. No, no, no. The loving God who extends his arms of grace, it says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And so the very thing that you are doing uh, to, re- to, to run from God is making you proud in your heart because you've begun to believe that God doesn't love you because of you. Number three, and the last one is that we are free. You have to believe that you are free from sin's power to rule over our lives. You have to believe that you're free. If I walk by the Spirit, I will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. If we live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live, the the number one key to being free and walking in newness of life is what you believe. It's what you believe. How do we handle temptation? Number two, and then I'm out your way. How do we handle temptation? The word of God and prayer. The number one offense for many of us who are dealing with matters of bondage is that we don't spend time in God's word. It's the first question I ask when I'm sitting down with somebody, Pastor Kurt, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. I want to be free, but I can't be free. I, I feel da 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 how, how much time have you been spending with God? Uh, how much time have you been spending in God's word? Like how, how, much, how much do you just spend time with God in his word? How much do you read and study in his word? How much do you soak, soak in his word? Are you hiding his word in your heart so that you can't sin against it? No, I'm not doing all of those things. Well, then I'm not surprised you're sinning. How do you combat against Something that you don't even know what God's word says. Like, 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 we're terrible planners. You plan to walk in obedience without planning to walk in obedience by being in his word. Listen, obedience doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one morning and then you start obeying God's word. It doesn't happen that way. Man, listen, you have to read and study, and prioritize not just that particular issue of sin, but holistic discipleship. Here, let me give this to you for free. I was going to save this, but I'm going to give it out to you for free. Listen, some of the problem of why you keep struggling in one particular area is because all of your time in God's word is in that one particular area. But you've never dealt with the root of how that shows up in other areas of life. And so your lack of self-control 
if you deal with your porn issue, yeah, okay, you might stop doing porn for a little while, but guess what shows up in every, every other area of life? A lack of self-control, which means the porn issue is just going to come back because you've only dealt with the, the symptom of the issue, not the root of it. And so when you're in bondage, you can't just identify and deal with that one particular issue. You've got to deal with holistic discipleship issues to uproot the root of what that is out of every area of your life. But you can't do that unless you've been in God's word. And prayer. How many of y'all actually stop? Like, do you stop and pray? Like, the moment temptation comes and those cravings come, do you stop and pray? Like, do you ask God for help? I mean, if there was anybody who was going to help, it'd be God. <laughs> but we don't stop and we don't ask God. Like, God, I'm, like, you know what I'm about to do. You know what I want to do. I, like, you got to help your boy right now. Like, be real with God. He already know. Stop trying to, like, you're, you're wrestling with the temptation, acting like God don't see you wrestling. Man, you, you, the Bible says that ask God what you want in the name of Jesus and he'll give it to you. It's like, you don't think God wants you to be free too? Man, you got you to gotta talk, talk to God. Number two, you got to avoid temptation. Which means, uh, Proverbs says, how, how can a man take fire to his bosom and not get burned? Some of us make very, very unwise decisions by actively putting ourselves in situations, in places, in relationships with people that we know already are a temptation for us. And so, you know what? You can save yourself a lot of headache and pain and repentance if you avoid the temptation. Bible says the experience is the, is the teacher of fools. So, get out of there and don't go. You got to be willing to disappoint people so that you can honor the Lord. Lastly, it says you got to submit to the spirit, which means obey and practice self-restraint. At the end of the day, listen to me, at the end of the day, I can't read your Bible for you. I can't call out in prayer for you. I can't wrestle with my flesh for you. You have to make every effort to obey God. It's just like the Nike commercial says. You can apply it here. You just got to do it. Because you're going to be filled up with God's word so that you know what it says. And you're going to call out to God in prayer so that he can deliver you by his grace and give you the strength that, he need, that you need. But God is not going to do it for you. You are still going to have to make every effort and just do it. You are going to have to decide in that moment of time, am I going to obey God here or am I going to obey my flesh? But listen to me. Paul here says, God's word here says that sin will not rule over you. And so as you wrestle through temptation, as you wrestle with, with God, as you wrestle with his word, all you have to remember, if you don't remember anything else that I said, just remember this. 
You don't have to sin. You can be free. Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth of your word. We thank you that your word is, is real. It's real for us. Like there are Christians that exist who have applied your word, the truth of your word to their lives and experienced freedom. God, we want that. We want to be free, God. We need to be free, God. Help us to do it by your word, to believe your word, believe what it says, that we have freedom in you because we have died a death like yours, and we have been raised to newness of life with you, and because of that, the relationship that we used to have with sin no longer exists, and we can be free. God, we're praying as your people that you would help us to walk in what you have already created for us to walk in what already exists for us to walk in. Give us the strength, oh God, to do it. But help us to commit ourselves to being in your word so that we know how to apply obedience in the proper context at the right time. God, we pray that you would give your servant success so that we might honor you in everything that we do. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.